1: To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me. Against me, they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me. And raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you are well pleased with me. Because my enemy does not triumph over me. As for me, you uphold me in my integrity and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. We have a sermon today out of Exodus 35. It's verses 20 through 35. Verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, And scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of the blue, purple and scarlet and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. The rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiath, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. If you travel around America, especially in the older sections where people moved to and settled, there's one thing that you will find of particular note. Normally, right in the center of the original town that was set settled, there is a church building, it is where everything else radiates out from. We have a place that we go to in Massachusetts every year. My father goes up there right in the middle of the town. That's where the church is. Further, this is usually the oldest building in the town or it was built right at the same time as the other oldest buildings. In other words, the people came together to form a community and while they were still either building their own houses or while they were still living in wagons and tents, they set about to build the house of God where they could meet, worship, marry, marry, bury their dead, and be instructed by the man designated or elected by them to lead them in the pursuit of God. In ancient Israel, Moses was that man. The people have come out of Egypt and are on their way to the land of promise. However, before they arrive there, they are already set to build the place where the Lord will reside. It will be on the spot where they come for meeting with him. It will be right in their midst, and everything else will radiate out from that spot. When the people finally get to the land of promise, the tabernacle will be set up, and it will be the focal point of the land for many, many years, even until the time of King David. He will begin to prepare for the building of a temple, and his son Solomon will be the one to build it. But until then, this tabernacle will be the continuous reminder of the presence of the Lord living among them. It's a sad thought that we no longer set out to establish new communities with a central focus on the Lord. We might build a new town around a Walmart, or maybe a factory, but churches are spread out away from the town center. Quite often, they are missing altogether. Our text first comes from Zechariah chapter 8. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. In the Gentile world, people are still coming to Christ in great numbers. New groups are hearing of the Lord and are building a place where they can go and worship Him. This is so even in the remotest parts of the earth. But for the most part, the more populous places of the earth are moving in the opposite direction. Their worship is directed to false gods or to no God at all. While this is occurring, Israel is being prepared for the building of their third temple. It will be where they will go to honor the Lord of their past, but not in a way that He is determined as acceptable. They will go through the tribulation period, and at the end of it, he will return to them and will dwell in their midst. He must long for this day, as we all should. The dwelling of the Lord among his chosen people, Israel, is not something to be taken lightly. It is a sign that he is the covenant-keeping Lord who will never fail to keep his promises to them despite their failures in his presence. The true beginning of the dwelling of the Lord among his people is pictured in his dwelling among Israel, In the tabernacle. The actual beginning of the process of constructing this wonderful edifice is detailed in today's verses. What a marvelous thing it must have been for these people to anticipate, especially after what they had done with the golden calf. Peace was restored, and the Lord would dwell among them after all. And so it will be once again after the tribulation period. This is all to be found in His superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through His word today. And may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is a willing offering to the Lord. It's verses 20 through 29. Verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. In the first half of this chapter, three specific divisions were made by the mouth of Moses as directed by the Lord. The first was applicable to all people, and it came in the form of a command. This was in verses 1 through 3, and which comprised the law of the Sabbath as it pertained to the congregation. The second was a request from all of the congregation concerning the offering to the Lord. However, it was qualified with the words, whoever is of a willing heart. Within this, there would be divisions as well. There are those with a willing heart who do not necessarily mean that they have something needed that they could give. Those who had something to give may not have had a willing heart to give it. And then there are those that both had needed items, and they also had the heart to give. And finally, the last division spoke of the gifted artisans among the people. Those who had an ability for the making of the sacred things were petitioned to come and assist in the work. With these commands, petitions, and instructions now imparted to the people, they are said to have departed from the presence of Moses. They will have to consider the command of the Sabbath, search their goods and their hearts for offerings and determine if their skills are acceptable for assisting in the making of these things, which are required by the Lord. As they are in the wilderness, time is no real consideration. Rather, there's simply a need for willingness to step forward and demonstrate obedience in the three areas which are specified. Verse 21, then everyone came whose heart was stirred. In Exodus 25, verse 2, when the original call for the materials was made to Moses, while they were with the Lord on Mount Sinai, it says, Kal ish asher libo, literally, of every man whose heart impels him. Now a completely different word is used. It says Kal ish asher naseo libo, or basically, everyone whose heart is lifted up. Instead of the word nadav, which means to impel, it says nasa or to lift there is then the sense of a removal of a weight which had burdened them as a congregation they had departed from the lord and they had gone and fashioned the golden calf the covenant was annulled in moses breaking of the original tablets and there was the removal of the lord from the midst of the people instead he had met with moses a far distance from the camp there was no surety as to what their fate would be once moses ascended the mountain and stayed for that second 40-day period petitioning the Lord and being instructed concerning the people. They didn't even know if he would go with them or not. Now Moses has returned and given them the good news. A tabernacle will be built, and he will be in their midst. He will dwell among his people Israel. Their hearts are now lifted in gratitude to this fact. Verse 21 continues, and everyone whose spirit was willing. Only now is the term Nadav used. It says, V'kho asher nadeva Oto." and everyone whose spirit in him was impelled. This is the second of 18 times that this word is going to be seen. It means to incite or to impel. It is the kind of willingness that would impel a person to volunteer as a soldier after their country was attacked. It would also be the type of offering somebody would make when a great need arose within a community or a church. They would see the need and their heart would impel them forward to meet that need. This is exactly what the Lord is looking for. With their hearts lifted because of the grace and mercy of the Lord, their spirits are now impelled forward in an act of giving. It is the same sentiment that Paul uses in the New Testament concerning ones given in the church for any reason. In his second letter to the Corinthians, he gives one of only two specific verses concerning giving in our dispensation of grace. Here's what he wrote. He said, "...so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity," for God loves a cheerful giver. There was nothing to be forced upon the people for this most sacred of habitations. Rather, the bestowal of the offerings was solely up to how the heart urged them on. Verse 21 going on. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. Note for your Bible here, it says, Ohel Moed, which is a tent of meeting. It's not a tabernacle. Okay, some translations say tabernacle. Just make a little note. It's actually a tent. Despite this, the people whose hearts were lifted and whose spirits impelled them are now said to come forward with their offerings. The word used for offering is terumah. I talked about this last week. It indicates an offering for sacred use, which is lifted up as if it's exalted. The people probably came, lifted the gift up above their heads as a note of devotion to the Lord, and then bowed to place it among the piles of things which were being offered to him. One can see in this the contrast between the offering now made to the Lord and that which was made for the golden calf. At that time, Aaron told the people to break off their earrings using a word which nearly implied violence. Now they humbly bring a terumah, which is accompanied by a lifted heart and a willing soul. Verse 22, they came both men and women as many as had a willing heart. Now in this verse, the heart is described as nadav or impelled to give. They first needed to have their hearts lifted. When the heart was lifted, the soul was willing. And now from that, the heart is made willing as well. The words show the process of what is going on. And it's the same in what occurs in us today. When we are dispirited, giving is not the first thing on our mind. But when our hearts are lifted up, then our souls will be willing to give, and from that springs forth a willing heart. The wording of this verse is debated, and I want you to know this. It says, "Ve'Yabol ha'anashim al hanashim, and they came, the men, over and above the women. What it appears to be saying, and scholars debate this, but it appears that it is the women who are the first and the prominent givers in the process, and only the men came forward and gave of their things afterward. If so, it would follow the normal pattern of these things, where ladies are more disposed to giving than men. But their example prompted the men on to giving as well. Verse 22 continues, "...and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold, that is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord." There are five things which are mentioned here. The first is kach. It's the first of seven times that it's going to be seen. The word comes from koach, which means a thorn, that is derived from a root which means to pierce. And so this is something that is uh, like something which would pierce, maybe an earring or a nose ring or a hook or something like that. It is used in Ezekiel 38 in this way. It says, I will turn you around and put hooks in your jaws and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, the great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. So it's something that pierces. The next is Nezem, Nezem. These are the same as the earrings mentioned in Exodus 32 when Aaron asked to break off their their earrings and give them for the golden calf. Next are taba'at or rings. This comes from another word, taba, which means to sink. This then gives the idea of a signet, which is sunk into clay or into wax in order to make a seal. And from that comes the idea of any ring. It is the same word used to describe the rings, which are on the ark, the table of showbread, and the other things which would be made, and then they inserted the poles to carry it. Same word. Next is mentioned, kumaz. This is the first of only two times that it's going to be seen. It isn't sure what it means, but maybe a golden ornament or perhaps a bracelet. It comes from an unused root, meaning to store away. And so it's probably some type of jewelry or item that is kept stored away, or it could even be used as something which stores things away. They're just not sure. And finally, as mentioned, keli. It's a general word that is very widely translated as utensil, implement, article, vessel, things like that. All of these precious gold items were brought forward and waved as a wave offering by the people, an offering of gold to the Lord. The gold of these items will be used to signify the deity of Christ as well as his kingly authority. Verse 23, and every man with whom has found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goats hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. The one major note of disagreement with this verse is the translation of the word I mentioned this last week. They're mentioning it again. Here they translate it as badger skins. This is not likely. Rather, it is the skins of a sea animal, like a seal, a porpoise, or a manatee. Older versions of the Bible made a guess as to what tekheshin means and they didn't make a very good guess. Each of these was previously mentioned and each detail of them was precisely seen to picture the person and work of Christ. The blood signifies the law, the purple royalty, scarlet pictures war, blood and or judgment, fine linen symbolizes righteousness, goat's hair signifies an awareness of sin and that it will be punished. The ramskins dyed red reveal Christ's atoning blood covering our sin, and the skin of the marine animal pictures Christ's order and harmony covering us from chaos and confusion. I described all of that in previous sermons. Verse 24: Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering. Again, the call was made for these articles, and the people are found obedient in bringing them as well. The silver symbolizes redemption, and the bronze, judgment. These were brought as an offering lifted up before the Lord. The silver, which is specifically to be used in this tabernacle, this is something we saw, I think, last week, will actually come from a mandatory redemption tax. But this silver here, which is offered, may have been used for something unnamed, some type of article in the service of the Lord. Verse 24 continues, And everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. The acacia wood represents the incorruptible nature of Christ's humanity. This was brought forward for the maleket abudah, or work of labor. It's a very fitting choice of words considering what it actually symbolizes. The work of labor of those items which picture the humanity of the Lord by which he accomplished his earthly work. And so the wording is almost so precisely picturing Christ. Verse 25, all the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands. lev tavu, And all the women who were wise of heart with their hands spun. The skill is said to be a skill which is reflected in a wise heart. The word for spun is tava. It will only be used here and in the next verse in the entire Bible. It comes from a root which means to spin, and thus it simply means that which is spun. The virtuous woman of Proverbs 31 is said to do exactly this type of labor. Here's what it says. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. Verse 25 continues, and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet and fine linen. The process of making yarn would be very simple, just as described in the Proverbs. It was probably done by the use of a wheel and a spindle and either with or without a distaff. Once the yarn was spun of the various dyes, or if it was simply made into white, fine linen, then it was brought forward as their offering. Verse 26, and all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarn of goat's hair. This verse is translated in one of two ways. They're very close, but I want to give them both to you. Either it says the women whose heart stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair, or the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. The word for stirred is the same as that which was used in the verse 21, nasa, or lifted, rather than nadav, or impelled. Either way, what appears to be the case is that the goat's hair took a special skill or more laborious effort than that which went beyond the normal spinning of the other items mentioned. Thus, the different word for the prompting of the heart is used. And more, as goat's hair pictures an awareness of sin all the way throughout the Bible, the Bible is highlighting this specifically. It shows that these women's hearts were impelled concerning the sin debt that they had in their lives. Verse 27, the rulers brought onyx stones and the stones set to be in the ephod and in the breastplate. Now are mentioned the nasim or rulers. They are the ones to bring special stones which would be used on Aaron's shoulder pieces, and on the breastplate of judgment. What we have here has been an order of offerings. The first were ornaments, which were worn on the body. Then after that were special treasures, or the possessions of the people. The offering of the labors of the females. And finally, the offerings of the rulers, which consist of the princely jewels. Verse 28, and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. The rulers also brought the spices for the oil and the light and for those for the special anointing oil and incense as well. It would be expected that the rulers would have such items on hand, whereas the common people would be less likely to have them in their possession. It's no different today where some people have Rolex watches and diamond earrings, but the common people have t-shirts and blue jeans. However, in the end, every need that was named is filled by the various people. Verse 29, the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded to be done. Now I went through twenty translations of the Bible, as I do for all of the verses when I do a sermon. I read all of them, if there's any question as to what it's saying. And this verse here is translated in a surprising number of ways. And yet, even though it's translated completely differently, the intent is basically the same in all of them. The people, both the men and the women, whose hearts had been willing, are the ones who brought for every kind of work the things which the Lord commanded to be done by the hand of Moses, which were to be brought by the children of Israel as a willing offering to the Lord. Concerning all of these previous details since verse 21, Matthew Henry states the following. He says, without a willing mind, costly offerings would be abhorred. With it, the smallest will be accepted. Think of the widow and her two mites, and the Lord favored that over all of the costly offerings of the people who didn't have their heart in it. He goes on, he says, our hearts are willing when we cheerfully assist in promoting the cause of God. Those who are diligent and contented in in employments considered mean, which today means lowly, are as much accepted of God as those engaged in splendid services. The women who spun the goat's hair were wise-hearted because they did it heartily to the Lord. Thus the labor mechanic or servant who attends to his work in the faith and fear of God may be as wise for his place as the most useful minister, and he equally accepted of the Lord. Our wisdom and duty consist in giving God the glory and use of our talents, be they many or few. He is correct in this. And what is implied in both verse 22 and in this verse is that there were some people whose hearts were not stirred up. They were neither lifted up nor were they impelled to give of their goods in the service of the Lord. They're the same people today who sit gladly on the sidelines and let nothing change their demeanor, even when something is hoped for or needed. And of course, there were certainly some who came forward hoping that everyone would see what they were giving, even though their hearts didn't give a hoot about the cause. Jesus addresses those types in Matthew 6, and they're not good words about those people. In the end, the Lord is looking on the heart, and He is looking for those who have their hearts lifted up towards Him and who are willing to give without expecting anything in return. For Israel, they would be given the honor of having Him dwell in their presence in a magnificent edifice. What more could those people ask for? How much can I give, Lord? From you I have received so much. I know that what I give is never enough. I have been blessed with your salvation, grace, mercy, and such. My life is abundantly blessed when it was once so rough. Now even the worst of times is filled with joy. I have a hope which transcends the troubles of this world. How much can I give, Lord, for others to employ? Let my heart be appreciative of the wonders you have unfurled. Help me to never be tight-fisted or to turn away from a need. Grant me the heart to respond in turn as you have blessed me. When I see a lack that needs filling, may I fill it with speed. May my heart be willing to share and do so joyfully. Our second thought today is Bezalel and Aholiah. It's verses 30 through 35. Verse 30, and Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Bezalel was specifically named by the Lord in Exodus 31. These verses are now exceedingly similar to those of Exodus 31 verses 1 through 6. Moses simply repeats the words of the Lord to the people, and the only substantial difference in them are to be found in the additional words of verses 34 and 35. The name Bezalel is formed of three parts. The L at the end means God. The B at the beginning signifies in, and the middle part comes from the noun sel, meaning shadow, and thus his name means something like in the shadow of God. As shade is considered a protection in the Bible, like the tabernacle, his name is a metaphor for in the protection of God. He is the son of Uri, which means something like either my light or light of Yehovah. The name of Uri's father is Hur, which means white, and Judah means praise. It is Bezalel who will be the chief artificer for the construction of the tabernacle and everything associated with it. This is because of the next words. Verse 31, and he has filled him with the spirit of God. The term malé or fill in the Hebrew, gives the idea of being set apart or consecrated for a specific task. In this case, he is said to be filled with the ruach Elohim, or the Spirit of God. This means that his work will be acceptable concerning the things which are required for him to accomplish. In this case, he is specifically filled in four particular ways. Verse 31 continues, in wisdom. The word is kochma. It signifies wisdom in a good sense. It is a common word, but it is used a great deal in the books of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It refers to understanding which is rightly applied in a wise, prudent, or beneficial way. Verse 31 going on, and understanding. The word is Tebuna. It indicates discretion, reason, skillfulness, understanding, and wisdom. Again, it's mostly used in the book of Proverbs, and it indicates an ability to comprehend a man may see a storm coming and say, gee, it's going to rain. But he may not understand that the lightning in the storm can reach out beyond the storm itself and kill him before the storm even arrives. Having a knowledge of something does not mean that there is an understanding of the thing. Oh, there's a really, really big cat over there. He doesn't understand it. it's a lion and it's about to eat him. Just because you know something, it doesn't mean you understand that thing. Verse 31 continues, in knowledge, the word is da'at. It was first seen in Genesis 2, 9 when speaking of the tree of the da'at, the knowledge of good and evil. It indicates knowledge in the general sense. Either one is aware of something or they're not aware of it. If they are, then they can use that for understanding or even in wisdom. In this, we can think of empirical, experimental, or experiential knowledge. Therefore, we can rightly assume that Bezalel was probably already able to accomplish all of the things necessary for the work to be done. He had empirical knowledge, he had experimental knowledge, and he had experiential knowledge, all of which comprised who he was based on what he had already learned. Verse 31 going on, and all manner of workmanship. The word is melakha. It is the same as the word malak, which means angel. And so it signifies employment in a task or a job. But never in a servile way. Rather, it would be in an industry or in an occupation. Just as an angel or a messenger was on his duty to carry out, this indicates the ability to accomplish the task at hand by employing the knowledge, understanding, and wisdom that one possesses. In every aspect, in his name, in the name of his father and of his grandfather, in the tribe that he descends from, and in the skills and abilities that he possesses. In each of these, he made, if you remember that sermon, a marvelous picture of Christ. If you missed that sermon where he was introduced, it would be worth the time to go back and to see how intricately each of those aspects of him points to the coming Christ. In just his aspects of workmanship, knowledge, Understanding and wisdom, he is seen as a marvelous type of Christ who possesses the Holy Spirit without measure and in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 32, to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze. All of the tasks and designs for the sanctuary had been laid out in minute detail by the Lord to Moses. It would be Bezalel who would be in charge of carrying out the work. The designs which needed to be made, the gold that needed to be shaped, the silver which needed to be refined and poured into molds or beaten into implements, and the bronze which was needed to be formed as necessary, all of it required the work of a master craftsman. Bezalel was selected for the task. He was capable of seeing it to its completion. The Lord knew him and his capabilities, and he was selected as the perfect artificer for the job and the perfect picture of Christ to come. But the tasks thus far mentioned are not the total of his abilities. He could do even more. Verse 33, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. The word for both cutting and carving in this verse is the same word. In other words, the stones to be cut and the wood to be carved uses the same rare word, haroshet. In this noun form, it is found only here and in Exodus 31, verse 5, when Bezalel was first introduced. It indicates mechanical work, such as carved or cut, verse 34, and he has put in his heart the ability to teach. These words are not a part of what was originally recorded in Exodus 31. Not only would Bezalel have the abilities to form everything necessary to build the edifice and its implements, but he would also have the ability to teach. What he could do was not limited to him, but he would be an instructor of others who would participate in the process until its completion. And this is true with another person as well. Verse 34 going on, In him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. Another person who would have the gift of teaching would be Aholiab. The name Aholiab comes from Av, which means father, and Ohel, which means tent. Therefore, the name means father's tent, just as the tabernacle pictures the father's tent. He is the son of Ahisamach, which means my brother has supported. And finally, he is from the tribe of Dan, which means judge. Again, like Bezalel, everything about him points to Christ. If you don't remember that, go back and watch that sermon again. Verse 35, our last verse of the day. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and of the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver those who do every work, and those who design artistic works. The passage and the chapter end the day with these words. Several categories of workmen are specified. The harash, or the engraver, would more aptly be called an artisopher. He would be skilled in cutting stone as well as engraving it. And the word also means a person who is skilled at cutting wood, an iron worker, things like that. The next is the designer. The verb used to describe him indicates to consider or to think. And so he would be the one to count and calculate the threads in weaving figures after the manner of tapestry or carpet. His work was chiefly used in the curtains and the veil of the tabernacle, in the ephod, and in the breastplate. The next is the tapestry maker, who works in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen. The verb describes a weaver. And so he would be the guy with the needle, weaving and embroidering the materials for the entrance curtains of the tent and of the court. He was also the one who fashioned the sash of the high priest. And then the weaver is mentioned with the qualifying words, who do every work and those who design artistic works. This would probably be the person who worked on the loom. The things he made would have been used then for the robe of the ephod, along with its binding, and also for the garments of the priests. What is seemingly certain to me is that these people were folks already capable and able to accomplish the tasks that were set out. If further instruction was necessary, they had the direction of Bezalel and Aholiath to guide them. And the same is true with us. We already have abilities when we come to Christ. What we need to do is direct them towards our new calling in Him. We certainly don't need to look for an external zapping of the Holy Spirit to make us qualified to do the Lord's work. What we need to do is take what we have and apply it in a wise and considered way. Another thing that we can see in the gathering together and formation of this tabernacle... By the work of the people is that it leads us to a marvelous picture of Christ himself. God created the heavens and the earth. He has directed the course of the nations and by his hand each thing happens so that redemptive history continues on as it should. Each earthquake or each war is used in his plan. Each person who is born or who dies is known to him. Some are raised by him to be kings while others die in obscurity. He is sovereign over all that happens. With this understanding, we come to the obvious thought that he could have simply caused the tabernacle to come into being and then just moved in. But instead, he went to the people to receive the materials from them. He then had them take those materials and fashion them according to the plan that he had already laid down. The people who did the work were already known to him and were used by him to bring the thing into existence in the form that he determined. And this is exactly how Christ came about as well, at least his humanity. God chose the selected form and directed the materials that would form the man. There was Adam and there was Methuselah. Along came Abraham and Sarah, as well as Lot and his two daughters. Israel and Judah and Tamar were all brought forward. Ruth, David, and Solomon were directed into this genealogy along with countless others, some named, but some completely unknown to us. Each life was a part of the weaving together of the fabric of the man who would come. Just as the tabernacle was used of materials from God's creation, but which passed through humanity in order to be returned to him to build the sanctuary, each and every detail of which points to Christ. So the materials of which these people were comprised themselves passed through humanity in order to be returned to him in the form of the human aspect of Jesus Christ. And as the Ruach Elohim or Spirit of God endowed these men with the ability to form that which came into their hands, the Spirit of God also formed in Christ to erect the more perfect edifice, which is the humanity of our Lord, an edifice where the Spirit of God is found without measure. But on top of this, these men were also given the ability to teach. And this is one of the great titles of the Lord Jesus, Teacher. Time and again, the title is used of him in the Gospels, From there, we would deduce that if there is a teacher, then he must have students who would carry out the work with and for him. That is where the disciples and apostles came in. They were taught by the Lord how to form the various parts of the great edifice, which is God's building, of which we are a part, by the way. This is seen in the writings of the New Testament. As Peter and Paul and the others are not with us now, then there must have been something from them that tells us how we are to be shaped so that we too will properly fit into this marvelous building and we do it's right here it's called the holy bible christ is in fact the great artificer and he is also the great teacher he then instructed others who have written down what he expects of us the materials of this house of god which are continuing to be brought forth for his workmanship even today it should not be enough to say i am a living stone which is going to be placed in god's temple Rather, it should be our goal to be the most perfect living stone possible. We have all of the instructions necessary to be just that if we will only avail ourselves of it. Today and every day, I would hope that you would continue to perfect yourself through an understanding of God's word, and then secondly, to a right application of it. If you do these things, then you will be a prominent part of the magnificent thing which God is erecting in his eternal dwelling. Please, Please don't waste the few moments that you have here on earth chasing after the wind. Look unto Christ, pursue Christ, and endeavor to be more Christ-like in all ways and at all times. Before you know it, the life that you're living is going to be over and your eternity is going to begin. It is an eternity which will be based on a very, very short span of time. Use it well. And if you have never taken the time to first call out to Christ to begin this process, today is the day. You cannot be a part of what God is building if you are not the redeemed of the Lord. His cross is what makes that possible, and it is what you need for it to come about. And so I'd like to explain to you very quickly that every single thing that we have seen in this sermon today, and all of these past many, many sermons about the tabernacle, every detail has pointed to Jesus Christ. Single words, ideas, concepts, everything has pointed to it. It's been very harmonious, it's been very well structured. And it's been with God's intent to show us what he is going to do in Jesus. Jesus came and he did dwell among his people. He resided in their midst and he showed the glory of God to them. And they rejected him and they nailed him to a cross. But it was in that act of nailing him to a cross when he had never sinned under the law, which he had written, that his blood could atone for our sins. The perfect sinless son of God, the lamb of God, takes away the sin of the world by his shed blood. And that is what God wants you to understand is that he died in satisfaction of the law and so that we could be covered by that and we could have our sin taken away. Those women spinning that goat's hair didn't understand the goat's hair pictures and awareness of sin in the Bible. But the Bible highlighted that for us to know is that we all have a sin debt. And here they are spinning that, reflecting on the work of Christ now from the Bible. And that's what he did for us. He's shown us an awareness of sin. He's been willing to take away that sin through his shed blood, and he's willing to cover it, just like the ramskins skins dyed red, his blood covering our sin, covering the tabernacle in which he'd resided for so many thousands of years. All of these things point to Christ, and it's simply calling out to say the very simple message that if you are willing to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're willing to believe that he can take away your sin, that he will. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says that you will be saved. So please, if you've never done that today, I would ask you to do it. Call on Jesus. Allow him to change you from the inside out and to mold you into that perfect stone which he is building. He's taking us as living stones and putting us into a tabernacle or a tent or a dwelling place where he will reside forever. And you can be a part of it through Jesus Christ. Our closing verse today comes from Ephesians chapter 2. verses 19 through 22. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners speaking to the Gentile people of the world, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Wonderful stuff there. Next week, we've got to Exodus 36. This is going to be the longest number of verses that I've ever preached on in my life 36, 1 through 38, the entire chapter. Every need will be met in this proffering. It's entitled The People's Offering. That'll be our 99th Exodus sermon. Now, I'll tell you that the Lord has you exactly where He wants you, He has a good plan and a purpose for you. And even if a deep ocean lies ahead of you, He can part the waters, He can lead you through it right on dry ground. And so follow him and trust him and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the chance to preach on these verses. Thank you that uh, every detail points to Christ and that we're being reminded of some things that were told in the past. And we also uh, have a chance to uh, uh, see a few new things inserted here as well that point to Jesus and to show us how the building of the tabernacle itself actually pictures the coming of Christ through humanity. You created everything, and yet everything passes through humanity and winds up right back to you, the Lord of creation. You built a human form, and then you stepped into it, fully God and fully man. How wonderful you are to do these things for us. Lord God, we just love you, we praise you, we exalt you, and we do it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Okay, this isn't a very long poem today. Next week, you'll need a pillow for that one, but uh, you know, we got it's called Offerings and Artisans. And all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses after the things he did tell. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, not as if competing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments too, fulfilling each need as requested to do. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces. This was a great start. All jewelry of gold, that is, according to this word, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man who, with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen and goat's hair, which did abound, red skins of rams and badger skins, brought them as is said. Everyone who brought an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it as their proffering. All the women who were gifted artisans, "'spun yarn with their hands, "'and brought what they had spun "'of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. "'They brought the work that they had done. "'And all the women whose hearts stirred "'with wisdom spun yarns, yarn of goat's hair "'according to the word. "'The rulers brought onyx stones, as was right, "'and the stones to be set in the ephod "'and in the breastplate, "'and spices and oil for the light, "'for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense. "'The offering was great.' The children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work according to the word, which the Lord by Moses' hand was to be done at his command. And Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, And he has filled them with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge, in all manner of workmanship, ability, so broad, to design artistic works as was understood, to work in gold and silver and bronze too, in cutting jewel for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship they were to do. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach each man in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them to do all manner with skill of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker according to his will. In blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and fine linen, and of the weaver as well, those who do every work and those who design artistic works, as the account does tell. Lord God, help us to learn from your word. May we give willingly of ourselves and of what we possess. Let us be thankful and thus glorify our Lord, who has beautifully fashioned what was once such a mess, May the lives that we lead be comparable to what he has done. May we live for him following in the life he lived for us. His perfect life was lived and through victory it was won. Help us, O God, to emulate our marvelous Lord Jesus. Yes, O God, and to you we shall forever sing out our praise. And to you we shall come with these offerings for eternal days. Hallelujah and amen. One more quick prayer, Lord. We want to thank you for Joan, who is... uh, having her birthday in another day. And we just thank you so much for that. What a what an honor it is to know her and to share in life with her. We ask that you bless her in the year ahead and Jay as well. And thank you so much that Gail is in our presence and she's healthy and happy and uh, doing well. We thank you for that. Thank you for Scott's humble heart and his love for his wife. And uh, Lord, thank you for all the good things you blessed us with. Thank you for a really happy election season this year. We're, uh, we're thankful for that, that we have a reprieve and we have a chance to turn things around. How good you are to us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Okay, we get the uh, instruction for the Lord's Supper directly from the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. There uh, Paul wrote these words, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and he gave thanks over it. He would have said Baruch Ata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam HaMutsi Lechem Min HaAretz Blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, King of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth. And he broke it and he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper and he would have blessed us as well. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, Melech Olam Borei Peri Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body.
0: body and the blood, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, one more time, we thank you for all the blessings of this life. How good you are to us. Thank you for this really precious weather you've given us. What a relief from the heat of the summer. Everything is so beautiful. Everything is just green and wonderful, and we thank you for it. Thank you for your kind hand upon our lives, and thank you for all you've done for us. And we worship you with our hearts and in our souls, and we do so in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen.